podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, so I'm getting a lot of questions about Daily Fantasy. What is it? How does it work? How do I get involved? All that jazz. So pretty simple. If you haven't played it before, each and every week throughout the season, you can pick a brand new team for that week. With a salary cap, you've got to spend within the cap, pick your team, put it into a contest and uh, see how the dice roll for you. We have a listener league set up with our friends at DraftKings, the Coom Show Listener League, and each and every week they are dropping in contests, including plenty of free-to-enter contests where you can go up against your fellow listeners to the show, me, Propo, the Guru Sandrini. We're going to get lots of our show friends and guests and all pros to drop in teams. We're trying to raise money for charity. You can go and try and win prizes galore. There is a lot of fun to be had. So if you click the link in the show notes, for the podcast, wherever you're listening to it, or head on over to our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok now. How about them apples? You can join the league, get involved. Uh, and of course, as always with these things, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Welcome to the Nat Coombe Show. It is the week eight preview show. Phoebe Schechter in the house. Cannot wait to get into a bunch of games with her. We're going to obviously talk NFL London Jags, Broncos. What is going on with Russell Wilson, particularly the hijinks on the airplane? We'll definitely get into that. We'll talk Bills, Packers. Unbelievable that Aaron Rodgers is in this situation. The Packers are in this situation going into week eight as double-digit underdogs. Extraordinary stuff. We'll break down what they might do before the trade deadline, what they need to do to turn the season around and uh, get into the Bills in more depth as well. Of course, something Phoebe knows all about. We'll talk the AFC East. Pat's Jets going head-to-head. Mac Jones' name is the starter, but all that instability that is being engendered in Foxborough right now as far as uh, Zappi and, and Jones and who's my starter, nobody really knows. 49ers Rams, Matt Stafford under par the Rams under par are they gonna make a move uh, they're playing the 49ers this weekend a big big battle in the NFC West the 49ers have re-upped who else might we'll look at a few options there as well cards Vikes are the Vikes the most underrated team in the NFL right now all of that plus plenty of your listener questions and more coming up with the brilliant BB Schechter Beeb's great to see you again happy NFL London week can you believe it's already back? I am so excited, but it's slightly bittersweet because mm. this is our last London one for the year. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I thought you were going to say it's bittersweet because NFL London means you will have worked with me and Ollie three times in one week. <laughs> I mean, there's that as well. I didn't you're want to gonna, bring that to the table yet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's incredible. We say it every year, but my God, we're week eight. NFL London's done, but it has been uh, a decent series. I was thinking back on it, actually, and it's something that we see all the time when the games are announced. There is inevitably descent from some of the ranks. Why are we getting these games? These this team's rubbish. Why can't we get standout games? But even looking at looking at this season, when the Packers Giants was announced, we thought, well, great, we're going to see the Packers, we're going to see Rodgers. Nobody would have thought, thought that the Giants were going to win. The Giants would be a much more likely playoff team. And this time around with the Jags and Broncos, we thought, my God, we're going to see Russell Wilson. The Broncos are, are Super Bowl contenders. And here they are arriving in London with ultra dysfunction. Yeah, massively. And I think it's, I mean, I don't even know how they're thinking how we have to come all the way over here to London. We've got so many problems in the States, let alone travel to another country and try and organize ourselves against a team like the Jags, who 
this is pretty much their second home. Yeah, right. They're so used to it. Well, let, let's start there. And uh, as we were suggesting, we're going to be live on TalkSport 2 Sunday. Phoebe, Christy Scotland-Williamson back in the house as well. Will Gav, shout out to Will, Ollie Wilson. The crew is all there. Oh, Wembley, uh, one... Uh, oh, are we on at one o'clock, one thirty? One one o'clock must be right. Yeah, one o'clock. You should know yeah. that. Okay, all right. I should know. Hey, by the way, Phoebes, you should be honoured that Ollie. Once again, every time you're on the show, Ollie's Ollie's here. Ollie never misses the Phoebe Schechter appearances. I've noticed. Okay, Ollie. That's that's because he's trying to get me to help him. He's got a poor back. So he's uh, trying to get those brownie points in. I know how this works. Heavy lifting. <laughs> get the heavy lifting rolling. Shout out to all in the house. We're dropping Edge Rush, uh, recording it right after this incident. So that'll be dropping in your podcatcher pretty soon as well. So let's start with the, the Jags Broncos. Let's start with the story that everybody's talking about. One of the great stories of the season, I think, so far. Russell Wilson announcing that on the flight over, he spent about half of it, I think he said, doing high knees in the aisle. My favorite part of this story, and I'm sure our listeners have seen it, but in case you haven't, Wilson said, look, he was uh, was doing high knees up and down, uh, up and down the, uh, the aisles during the flight while, while his teammates slept. That was my favorite part of it. Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Skipper. Yeah, when you're trying to sleep, that is not what you're trying to have going on. I mean, I'm sure they're all kitted out with their eyewear and all those earplugs and whatnot. But how annoying is that? Because I'm like, it's a night flight. You you want to be sleeping. And there you are. Your quarterback who didn't play last weekend, who's not been terrific, is now the one trying to keep everybody awake for his own benefit own benefit and also it's throwing them under the bus saying look at me working out everybody i'm taking i'm doing the serious reps it's um it's probably too early to call to call russell wilson and and the trader bust right but why do you think it has been so off the mark and they've been so off off the pace because early on in the season you know we've obviously talked about it a lot on the show and you and i've talked about it a lot on radio and early on as well hackett's new and Wilson's in a new offense and it just takes time and yada, yada, yada. But at what point do we start to look at it and think, mm, okay, this is more than that? To be honest, I think last weekend having Brett Rippian come in at quarterback actually helped Russell Wilson's case mm. because it didn't make it so glaringly obvious that it's a Russell Wilson problem. There's obviously still problems amongst the entire coaching staff. And really, I think there's a few different approaches to this. I think you've got still poor play calling from Nathaniel Hackett. You've got him trying to make Russell Wilson into a Drew Brees, essentially staying in the pocket and and throwing those footballs, but that's not his identity. Mm. I mean, I I think if you can create more situations where Russell Wilson is able to, you know, roll out of the pocket, be on the move, because that's what is really a big threat of his. And yes, he might not be as fast, but he still has the ability to run the ball. Um, You know, and, and then, with the play action, he's only completing 52.2% of his passes coming mm. off of play action. That is not good. That is half, half essentially, yeah. you know, and, and usually the other threat off of that is the fact that, okay, well now I can, I can run it as the quarterback. Um, so you've kind of got that mix. You've then got the fact that they are tied for most penalties in the NFL. Mm. And that's not even just 20 of those are pre-snap. You've got delay of game, which means the play calls aren't coming in quick enough. You've got false starts, which means there's no discipline. They're they're thinking of other things. You know, keep it simple. They're trying to change the snap count. Well, we can't even do the little things right. Why are we trying to overcomplicate that? 
And then I'd say the final piece to this kind of offensive mess at the moment is that actually the players aren't making plays. They're now third for most drop passes in the NFL. Wow. So yeah. even if even if Russell Wilson is getting the football out, I think they're averaging 1.4 fumbles per game. They've got at least 10 drop passes. The O-line and running backs are struggling with reading what a defense is doing for blitzes and stunts. And and for me, that all still comes down to the coaching staff. Yeah. Those are things that you can help them with. So I I don't fully think it's fair. I, you know, Russell Wilson by far, I think in 2020 to 2021, he had the highest quarterback rating through the first six weeks of any of the quarterbacks. He is now one of the lowest. So I think there's a definite piece of him mm. and and he's not the same guy almost since his hand injury. But there are so many other things that are glaringly wrong as well that it's almost like, oh, this whole thing needs a refresh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a, some really, really interesting numbers and stats there. I mean, the the penalties, uh, the drop passes is maybe the most startling. With penalties, just as you say, indicates that there isn't a cohesion and a conviction with with what a lot of them are doing. And I guess these things then breed this jittery nature around. And maybe that's evidenced by the the drop passes. You look at that receiving court. I mean, I reckon it is. It's got to be up there in a top top on paper, a top ten receiving core in the NFL. You know, the start of the season, you said he's got a top ten receiving core there. They're yeah. leading the league in drop passes. That is sen- yeah. sensational. I'm going to dive to Twitter because we've got a lot of questions in for you, Phoebs. We pushed that uh, out on social. A lot of, <laughs> lot of yeah, don't worry. There are no, no curveballs out. Uh, shout out to Colin from, uh, this is on Twitter. I appreciate it, Colin. He says, if your number one quarterback isn't 100% fit, would you start with your number one or the backup who is healthy? I might be talking about Russ Wilson, but maybe not. He says so. <laughs> particularly when your when your starting quarterback is is out of form. But I guess it depends on the backup. And you know, you mentioned Brett Ripien last week, and uh, difficult gig for him to step into that. But it necessarily show us that that he's the answer. Just generally, what's your what's your position on that? Whether it's you know Wilson or Ripien of the Broncos or or elsewhere, most players in the NFL are, are playing with some kind of injury most of the time, right? But at yeah. what point do you think? Well, actually, you're so banged up as a quarterback. It, even you at 60% is better than our backup or at what point do you, do you think a coach should look at it and just, and yank their starter? Yeah. And I think it's a really good question because that's actually been something that's occurred a few times this year from Justin Herbert to James mm-hmm. Winston to Tua. I mean, look at all these quarterbacks who are playing injured essentially. And, and those coaches are saying, Hey, you're still the guy, you're still the one I want in there for me. And you said it just there. If that quarterback is still 60% better and gives us a 60% higher chance of winning, and it's not doing necessarily a ton of damage, then, you know, I think I think you play them, to be honest. Again, depending on where you are in your year. Mm. Um, and I think it's I think it's a really tough one because you don't want – if something does happen, you have to be ready to take that risk and say, mm. well – Yep, I put you in this position, but they're also competitors and they're grown adults and they can make those decisions. And it's not just based off of the coach and the quarterback. It's the medical staff, the training staff. There's so many people that have input into if someone is actually eligible to play or not. But, you know, I think even look at this week, Nathaniel Hackett is going to be in a situation soon where he's fighting for his job. Big time. yeah, I mean, are you just like, hey, let's risk it. You're the best one for the job. You might help us win. You might keep me in a job. Let's go for it. 
I think Hackett is, is on maybe the hottest of hot seats right now. There's talk as well, and we'll get into it later on with the trade deadline coming up that Jerry Judy's on the market. A lot of people are reporting they're shopping him around. So the Broncos are in that mode, which is extraordinary when you think about all the all the optimism they start the season with. Let's flip this to, to the Jags. And I want to ask your opinion, because Trevor Lawrence isn't on the same tilt as Russell Wilson quite, but he's had a pretty mixed start to the season as well. And that's off the back of... Of, of a really difficult rookie year, I guess. Um, I guess he got a pass because of the whole crazy dysfunction that was <laughs> uh, was Urban Meyer, uh, and he started so promisingly this year. The Jack started so promisingly, but it's been a little bit hit and miss since then. So, where are you on on Trevor Lawrence a year and a half in? I still think he is a great quarterback, and I still think he has the ability. The defense by far has been holding them in the games a lot of time. I mean, we we watched that game going back a couple of weeks now, the rain game in the e- with the Eagles, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think that was probably one of his biggest struggles. And we've not really seen him come back to that highest level of Trevor Lawrence that we know can be there. But he has a great coaching staff around him. He's got a great a great play caller and Doug Peterson, who's there to support him. You know, I don't think it's fair for us to necessarily push him aside yet. I think that you almost have to pretend like he didn't have a career before this year because it's been so unfortunate for him. And he's had so many different coaches and poor messaging and poor culture. Mm. And, you know, even last weekend during that game, Trevor Lawrence was still having fun out there and he still was making some great passes some good decisions. I mean, for me, there was a couple of those passes that were just a bit high Mm. and if they weren't, if they weren't, they would have been that that game could have been completely changed. Yeah, it's it, it, it's so true that he does seem to be one of those players that just enjoys it. And you contrast that right now with, and we'll definitely get into them, the, you know, the, the Brady and Rogers situation and everything that's happening around those organizations. There was a really interesting comment from Mike Evans after last week's game. And we were doing it in studio, of course, and the Evans drop early on and the trajectory of the game completely changed. And afterwards, Evans said, after that drop pass, the light in us went out which I thought was, I mean, incredibly profound, but also like, really, I mean, wow, that was that was some pretty heavy, you know, heavy stuff to describe just how much they're struggling. And conversely, the Jags, whilst they are having struggles of their own, they seem to be playing with a swagger and uh, and Lawrence definitely personifies that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them just on the Lawrence draft class, because this was something that the guru Sandrini got into on our FFS show, our fantasy show earlier on this week. He was looking back at that draft class and now we've got a bit of uh, a sample size of all the players and, uh, and a huge amount and obviously situation is critical. But looking back at Lawrence, obviously Zach Wilson, Mac, Trey Lance is, is probably the, the biggest unknown. Fields has had a really tough time of it because of the situation he's been in. Have you revised your opinion on how successful you think that quarterback class is going to be or is it still too early to, to really work that out? I think in some ways it's too early because we had two COVID years in there that were not the same for them at all. They didn't get the reps that they were necessarily due. Um, But they were, I mean, I remember going into that draft class and everyone was so excited. I mean, that was the biggest quarterback draft class that we've had in ages. And then especially afterwards where we really haven't had many big names coming through. But I think part of that also has to do with, it feels like they're very different player to coach if that Mm. makes any sense. So the way that you, I feel like they've had a very different experience and I feel like the way that 
they need coaching is so different to some of your guys from a few years back, you know, your Lamar Jacksons, your Josh Allens, that it almost feels like they're not even the same person. And I know that has to do with, you know, the world we live in and the different Generation Z, which we love to talk about. <laughs> yeah, all these, all these loving this. Yeah, exactly. But I do think that really plays a role into mm. how you get the most out of a player. And, you know, they've all had not great experiences. They've all had different head coaches coming through, different offensive coordinators, I mean, you know, except for pretty much Mac Jones, who's at least been with the Patriots and, and Belichick. But even then, he still had different OCs throughout the whole process. Right. He's got to deal with Patricia now. Anyway, although fair play, we, we've, we've been, everyone's been knocking the Patricia judge tag team, but they, they seem to have got things right, even if last week went a little bit passionate. It's a great point. What do you think is the uh, are the main differences then generationally? Is it just a case of that if you or maybe you know maybe make a jump and look at, at Russell Wilson's generation versus Trevor Lawrence's generation? Do you, ten years or whatever that is, it's, it's about that, isn't it? Do you think that there is just a need for um, a, a stronger uh, cultural and social connection between coach and player than ever before? Is that is that the main thing or is it more, um, do you need to be more supportive? Is the tough love approach less effective these days? What's your take on that? I feel like you definitely need to be more supportive. And I feel like actually those players are a lot more critical and self-aware in some ways because there's they've grown up with social media. They've grown right. up with people and giving their opinions on them all the time. So that kind of tough love, it, it's kind of gone away now because you really have to not hold their hand, but you do have to help build them up a lot more than perhaps you would in the past. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of teams have gone through the process of bringing on a, a sports psychologist and having them fully on staff, 20, you know, 24-7. I think that also plays into the world we live in as well, right? People need more support. There's They're so much more aware. They carry a lot more things on their shoulders and in the past, I think we used to say, you know, you just get on with it. But yeah, now, right. you know, we're like, no, let's, you know, let's talk about it. Let's acknowledge these things. And and maybe that's a way that we can get the most out of someone. If we can support you mentally, physically, emotionally, holistically, spiritually, whatever that looks like. And I think mm. there's a much more of that approach today than mm-hmm. there was in the past. The Detroit Lions are clearly the outlier here <laughs> based on what we saw on Hard Knocks. <laughs> Shout out. I love Dan Campbell and that entire crew, Aaron Glenn. Uh, and, and their approach, a little bit different. A little bit, a <laughs> little bit. But are they successful? Yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I think you need an Aaron Glenn in every organization, but maybe not Agreed. every coach in that mold. <laughs> no, exactly. And I also think, you know, talking about them just slightly briefly, mm. they, as a, as a, even, even you, myself, we teach what we know. We teach what we've experienced. Mm. All those players have only ever really experienced that tough love way. So therefore... Right. That's how they teach. So yeah. that cycle doesn't get broken unless you are very intentional going out and, and deciding to change your coaching philosophy. Yeah, for sure. That is a great is a great point. Let's go on to Bill's Packers next because this is a fascinating game for so many reasons, not least what w- we were saying at the top of the show about the NFL London games when they're announced versus what actually happens or the situation we're in when they when they arrive. <laughs> Nobody, I think, would have thought, looking at the schedule, that this would be anything other than a battle of two Super Bowl contenders, right, at the start of the season. The Bills are, are living up to uh, that hype and that billing. The fact is not so much. The This is the biggest underdog spread of Aaron Rodgers' career. He's never been uh, a, a bigger underdog than he is in this game. Double-digit underdog. 
Uh, and there are there's talk as, as I mentioned a moment ago of, of, of trades and they're going to get a receiver, which is quite an unpackers thing to do, right? Is to make a play before the trade deadline, and and because typically you're spending big, a, a bit like the transfer window, I guess in in football that often the well, particularly the January window often you're not panic buying but teams know you're desperate for something so they're gonna they're gonna milk it for as much as they can Jerry Judy was a player that there is a lot of buzz about that he could he'd be off Brandon Cooks was another name as well I mean clearly they need a receiver or do you think a tight end might be a smart play there as well because Gesicki I don't think the Dolphins would deal him because because they're looking as uh, at the season is at their field, their contenders very much. So it's unlikely they would deal him. But people are saying, well, he doesn't really fit in that McDaniel offense and he's not really happy and settled with the way he's being used. So what, where do you think the Packers will go? Do you reckon they'll make a move? And who do you think could be a good fit for them? I do think a veteran receiver would help out Aaron Rodgers. You know, we, we, we've seen, you know, Romeo Dobbs, we've seen Christian Watson, we've seen these guys that are rookies that have a lot of talent and they've not been able to finish. Mm. And we know what it's like for Aaron Rodgers. Once he doesn't trust you, forget about it. You know, he's on to the next one. And he's really struggled with that. You know, Alan Lazard is kind of his next go-to. Um, and other than that, you know, you've obviously got his two backs, which are brilliant. I mean, they are, I would say, underutilized. Completely. Really? Why? Um, Why do you think that is offensively, particularly given the issues that they're having with the passing game? Truthfully, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know why you don't you don't take a step back, realize the situation, see who your most productive players are, or is there an an element of Aaron Rodgers' input where he's like, I want to throw the ball, I can do this, let mm. me show you what I can do. You know, I know it's a lot of speculation, but from an outsider's perspective, you see the talent you have, you see who's getting you positive yardage on a consistent basis. You know, and and also it takes away the stress of, you know, we've seen Rodgers multiple times now getting so frustrated by the mm. drops by his players and just hand the ball off. Give it to yeah. your guys that are unbelievable. So if you do bring in a tight end, a veteran tight end who can assist in that blocking or create some of that play action where they can release, you know, that could be a really nice way of, of just positive yardage because that's what mm. they need right now. They need completion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just anything, something, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if Gronk came back to the NFL, went to the Packers? <laughs> be, <laughs> yeah, I, Mike, and I were talking about the in you know the WWE where they have they draft wrestlers between Raw and SmackDown. So they have Raw and SmackDown as the brand, and they will draft them just to kind of keep that that wrestler fresh and keep the uh, the TV show fresh because they're seeing the same people every week. So they mix it up. If they did that with Rogers and, and the NFL wills in a draft and just trades Rogers and Brady, just, just flips oh them. Gosh. I mean, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd watch it. I would watch that. The, um, <laughs> the, um, the comments that Rogers made this week, again, other than the, the Russ Wilson uh, high knee, whatever he was doing, <laughs> what is that high knee? Is it just kind of high kicking? Is that what it is? That- I think it should be like high knees. You're engaging your core. You're rotating your pelvis and you're <laughs> trying to like stretch your lower back at the same time. It's just a very odd thing to be doing. <laughs> really odd on a, on a flight. Uh, well, other than that, the, the Aaron Rodgers comments are probably the most reported th- this week where he's essentially called out his teammates, not by name, not, not specifically, but basically saying if people are underperforming, they should, shouldn't be playing. There are a lot of people saying, well, you should look in the mirror there. Uh, Hall of Famer or not, um, and that's a reasonable argument, I guess. I'm interested in your take, having you know been around 
uh, NFL teams, obviously being, being with the Bills, being in that mix, what kind of impact? There's one thing, as you said, the glares, the eyebrow raises, the head shaking. Roger's always done that a little bit. Brady does that as well, right? You kind of give him a pass for that. But this is next level stuff, isn't it? With that, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have within the organization? Well, I think it's also the fact that he is literally saying this scheme is too complicated. Mm. And not even is he just saying that, you're saying that publicly. And that's what the real issue is. You can have those conversations behind closed doors, but the second you start bringing the media into the picture and and allowing for that kind of distrust and Mm. uncertainty to creep in, that's the almost cancerous bit of it all. Because... You know, if he's not able to, and I think was it we was us that were talking about it, where if someone said that they don't have his direct number, they have to like go through someone to text them. Not allowed yeah. to like <laughs> yeah, directly. Right, right. I'm like, what? You know, what job? What CEO? What whoever that may be of a company doesn't allow your employees to speak with you? And what culture are you creating as the quarterback? Why would you go out? Why would I want to? You know, if if not, you didn't talk to me at all, except for when, when I was on your show. Right. Why would I want to even do anything nice C- for come you? Come back on the show. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, um, it, is, it is bizarre. And I wonder if that, and look, you, you used a, a great word earlier because there is often, you know, too much speculation. I mean, a lot of our, our business is, is built entirely on unfounded speculation. But at the same time, it is our job to, uh, to join dots and to make logical uh, assertions and it, if you piece a lot of this together and you hear information like that and, you, and, you, and you're absolutely right it's it's wholly unorthodox and yeah it's the McAfee show and we love the fact that Rogers does it and McAfee's great and to see p- current players in that kind of environment sure has, has its appeal but it's it is it's unprofessional isn't it I mean you've got to call it call it it's unprofessional for him to call out his teammates to call out his coaches yeah. in the middle of a, a difficult situation so do you think that that is this power trip has gone to his head and you can understand why when he's one of the greatest players of all time and you factor in the Jordan Love situation and he's probably still burning about that and they dealt Devontae and didn't get him anyone else. I mean, is that is that maybe what's happening here? He knows exactly what he's doing and he's just blowing the whole thing up. Yeah, I mean, he's a very intelligent man, right. you know, and, and he he is he knows how to be a professional. I'm, I'd be interested to know if he has those conversations behind closed doors as well, or is Mm. it just an outward facing thing? Now I would think that he would, if he is in such disagreement with it. So maybe it's a fact of he feels no one's listening to him Mm. and therefore he feels the next step is to go public with it. But again, you're going to only separate your team. There's nothing that's going to bring your team together when you start involving other people. And, And that's something that every NFL team believes in is, it's we are very internal and mm. we don't we don't want the noise we don't want any of that but when you're actively recruiting that kind of level of attention now it's not about the team now it's about you mm. and maybe that you're right maybe that is what he wants because he didn't really want to come play this year to be in a rebuild he wanted to come win a super bowl yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i guess the Rogers apologists or those in his camp and and defending how he's behaving will say, well, he's using his position and using his voice and, and, and his platform to get the organization to make a deal. And actually he's doing this for the team. And he knows that this kind of noise is, is likely to force their hand to, to make a play before the trade deadline and get him what he needs. And 
that's going to help everybody, right? If, if they're going to be contents. Can they get back to contention, do you think? I mean, this is an incredibly tough spot, of course, against the, the, a team that's certainly top, top three in the NFL right now. Some would argue that are the best in, in the NFL right now. Because defensively, everyone's obsessing about Rodgers and how bad the offense is, but their defense isn't much better, right? They, uh, they're they a mess and they're going up against this Bills juggernaut. So talk us through that matchup. Do you, I mean, they're double-digit favorites, as I say. Do, I mean, do you think this is going to be or has the potential to be a blowout? The Bills, just irrespective of what Rodgers could do, just, uh, just running all over them. Yeah, I do think that because you're going against one of the past, one of the best pass defenses in the Bills, so you're already thinking what Rodgers is going to be able to do is not what he wants to do. He wants to make those big plays, and he's going to be constricted to you know ten plus yards. And if they're not using Dylan and Jones, what, what do they have from an offensive perspective, essentially? Mm. Um, because the Buffalo's defense are just so good. And they've met each other multiple times now, and there's not much difference in what they're doing, especially now, but they're just not able to connect. And then you look at it from Green Bay's defensive perspective. You know, I think a lot of people going into this year thought their defense was stacked. They would be the ones that were pretty much going to get Green Bay to the Super Bowl, even if Aaron Rodgers had nobody around him. Yeah. And now it's like they can't they they can't stop anything. What I would say is Buffalo, their run game has been a struggle for years now, and they've never mm. really been efficient in their run game. So you're kind of relying on the fact that your run defense will outplay their the Bills' uh, running offense, but also you're kind of hoping that you can help make Josh Allen make a bad decision. I mean, that's mm. usually the two things that are the biggest struggle for Buffalo is Josh tries to shoulder the team and makes a kind of crazy poor decision, but he's a really hard one to stop because you can run the ball. Mm-hmm. He can be, he can be the legs himself. He's got an amazing arm. He's got great receivers. It's it's and, and you're going to Buffalo to go play. Like this is all a very daunting experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the ground game is, it's interesting. Let's key in on that because you're right. It hasn't, it has been the relative weak link. I mean, compared to other teams, particularly, as you say, with, with a dual threat, like Allen, you know, it's a better ground, uh, a collective ground attack than a rushing attack than many teams can, can dream of. But yeah, given the standards of the rest of the bills, it, it has been in, in recent years that they're weak link. Why? Why is that? Do you think? Because I mean, you look at a player like Singletary has everything. We figured he was going to be, and he's had moments. He's had bursts. Like, Telling the last season, he was rolling, and I'm a huge fan of his. I, I really see so much in him, and I'm surprised he hasn't got into that that top tier and taken it forward. So, is it down to other factors, or is Singletary and others in, in the backfield just not living up consistently enough to to their potential? Or why do you think that is the weakest? side of this Bills setup? I do unfortunately think it does come down to the running backs themselves. I mean, and really Buffalo, the last time they had a really explosive running back would have been when LaShawn McCoy was there. And, you know, he had his flashes of greatness, but he was never the same. He'll be pissed at me for saying that. He'll be annoyed at me for saying that, but he's not been the same since he was at the Eagles, right? He Mm -hmm. So he hasn't really... They've not really had any Singletary. Moss has moments as well, but there's not been that big, you know, like like an AJ Dillon or mm. you know someone like that to really like run the ball hard and and really be explosive and use that burst. I mean, you look at 
someone like Josh Jacobs and you compare him to Singletary, especially yeah. Josh Jacobs at the moment, he's explosive and his lights up good. Yeah. Yeah. So you can you, see there's levels to this. You know, something Shane Vereen uh, talks about a lot on, on the show is the importance of getting um, rhythm as a running back and, and therefore reps are integral to that. Right. So this idea, you know, if you talk about running back by committee, which is, you know, has become more and more uh, the MO for, for, for many teams, it's harder than if you are not necessarily a bell cow three down back, but you know, like back in the day, but you're, you're, you're having to split more reps than ever before. Do you think just parlaying that to not specifically the bills, but obviously a team like the bills where you have one of the great running quarterbacks of all time, let alone in the league right now, does that make it harder? Because you know that X amount of the carries are going to be going to this guy and just really the offensive scheming. Is it harder to be a running back in a team when you've got an Allen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably, there's an element of it, but you still, I think being part of a team, you know that you just play a role, right? I'm always saying we're all cogs in a machine and I have to be able to do this to allow this person to do this. And I think they're still very much so, I know what my role is. And maybe as a young back, you want your role to be more than what it is. And that mm. could potentially play into it. But I mean, and I'd say probably there there might be elements of frustration where, you know, if you're in that kind of read option and Josh pulls it and you're like, come on, man, like, Give me the ball. My shot. <laughs> right. let me live. <laughs> sure. the, but, um, yeah. I'm going to go to Insta this time for another question for you. Because we talked about the mess that is that the Packers culturally and, and I guess to an extent as well, the uh, the Bucks and, and the Broncos too, all of whom are struggling. The Bills are rolling and so therefore teams rolling is usually a pretty happy camp. Uh, this is a question from Sleeper Strings. Sleeper Strings asks, how was coach, sorry, how has Coach McDermott created such a strong, well-rounded organization? What's the the secret to this Bills success and cohesion? excellent question and it's definitely been a long road right so mm. i think from the time he came in and we've talked about this a lot where he was very clear with what his vision was from day one to everybody in the organization from the cooks to the coaches to the staff whoever it was very clear on what he saw as his vision and making sure everyone was quote unquote in the boat with him mm. and then from there it's repeated messaging it's making sure that we're all on the same page there's there's the element of you have to figure out who your identity is and not be afraid to let go of some of those big names that potentially don't fit your identity. Uh, and and then you look at the, the way that they've drafted over the years, you know, compare it with uh, Sean McVay last year, who they're now struggling from a Rams perspective mm. in terms of they put all their eggs in their basket to win the Super Bowl, which was awesome. And I, I love they've done that, but now they're struggling, right? Now they don't have got... any draft picks for 17 years. Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. Whereas Buffalo, all those guys that are with the team, they're all drafted in the same class. Your Josh Allen's, Tremaine Edmonds, Deion Dawkins, you know, all of them, Tredavious White, those are all the same class. So you're building from the ground up. You've got the belief of your owners who, who are giving you the chance, allowing you to, to fail and be successful. Um and now you're seeing it all kind of come to fruition. So now they're in a position where they can bring in some big, big names like Avon Miller, who adds value and even bring in Stefan Diggs. But it's been a big learning curve. And, and defensively, that staff has been the same almost mm. the entire time. And you've had the same 
I mean, even offensively, really, for most of Josh's career, you've got consistency, and that is such a big part in any young team's life. It's so true. You know, you think about we. I think we we stumbled across this, or it just kind of came up in the five hour conversation we had on the on the radio on Sunday. But you look at. And maybe it was even about the Bills thinking about it, but you look at the Ravens. I know the Steelers are struggling this year, but the Steelers for most years, the the Patriots, there is a common thread, which is this continuity and and cohesion and identity as well. Uh, I'm always mindful. And yeah, you and I have have spoken about it a lot over the years, but always mindful of of hearing about Coach McDermott coming in and that level of detail in terms of sharing his vision throughout the organization. It's the Bill Walsh, uh, Bill Walsh approach and you know Walsh did exactly the same thing what 40 years ago yeah it must be 40 years ago I guess when he took over San Francisco and and that was exactly really clear about what he wanted the organization to stand for and really clear that that has to run through the entire building uh, and it's so you know it's so important but I, from what we understand like not often utilized right you know you look and again the teams where you see a lot of dysfunction, a lot of inconsistency. There is often that element missing. And then the identity, and, and this was a Belichick play, right? So when Belichick took over in New England and Loy Malloy got dealt and other big names and there was a real shock, but he knew what he wanted and knew what his vision was. And if that meant that big names got sacrificed, it's just the way it's got to be, right? I mean, yeah, it's a drawing from, drawing from the greats, but making it his own as well. Yeah, I mean, he was with Ron Rivera and um, with the Panthers and learned a ton from them. He's an Andy yeah. Reid guy. They were Eagles. You know, he's had the same – he worked with the GM, Brandon Bean, in the, at the Panthers. And I know both of them really respect people working their way from the ground up. And they mm. want to give people opportunities like that who work hard. Uh, so now to see them being successful because it's what they put into place five something years ago but it's not been an easy journey and I think you have to be so confident in what you believe because it's very easy to think oh my gosh we're not successful this isn't coming together should we change our direction but right. he has stayed the path and through the good through the bad and now you're able to see you know what his real vision is and, and that's what's just so cool so there's hope for Nathaniel Hackett is what we're saying as well. <laughs> Give him. I mean, he has to make some good yeah. decisions first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, that would help, right? <laughs> let's talk. Oh, we've got a bunch of games to get to and uh, not enough time as ever. So let's let's roll through. So Pat's Jets next. And then the AFC East uh, I'm fascinated with. So uh, in terms of this game specifically, no Brees Hall for, for the Jets, which is a, a huge blow. They made a play, uh, bring Robertson in from the Jags and, and he should get some action uh, on Sunday. And so the Jets, despite losing... Hall will still feel they've got a fighting chance in the AFC East. Who do you think, looking at that mix, the fact the Patriots, I guess, are, are better than we thought they would be, although equally we're not, paradoxically, we're not surprised that they are better than we yeah. thought they would be because this is Belichick, right? Uh, the Dolphins have had their challenges with the whole tour situation, but he's back now and uh, and they're starting to roll uh, again. Who's getting out of the East? Do you think it's going to be three teams that maybe make the playoffs out of the AFC East? I mean, it is such a weird place to be on this AFC East side. I, I don't, I don't want to cut off the Pats and and say they don't have a chance. I mean, for me, it's can you decide who your starting quarterback is going to be? Right. You know, I mean, even coming into the games, he's saying it's it's both of them, or we don't know. Yeah. Or, and you're like, oh man, I mean, that's very Belichick, but still, I mean, that's not 
easy because how are you sharing your reps throughout the week in practice? Mm. Surely they're not 50-50 starting reps. There's not enough. But it can't, um, I mean, it's Belichick. So you're right. We can't, it is very Belichick and we can't, <laughs> can't really question him, I guess, but the, given everything he's achieved, but it is, that never works, does it? I can't think of any situation where you're saying, oh, we got two quarterbacks and we're going to, it just doesn't work. It's never, you know, it, it's bizarre. Yeah. And the uncertainty that it leaves in a quarterback's mind, because then, you know, Mac Jones is like, well, what do I need to do better? What, what, are, what am I missing that you're, playing this rookie over me and I'm just a rookie still technically, you know, yeah. it's only my second year in your system and you've got new OC again and you've got two people calling plays. I mean, if there's too many cooks in the kitchen still, I know they're starting to get a bit of a, a rhythm with, with judge and Patricia, but you still have two people that who, like, who am I going to go to? Mm. Like, who am I going to look to for, Am I, am I playing? Am I doing the right thing? Or is it you that I talked to? I mean, it's just, I, I personally would, even as a player, would not want to be in that situation. I want to know, this is the situation. This is what's yeah. happening. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I think that's so true of, of God. So many sports are mindful of um, that, that infamous England game in the World Cup against America when Rob Green, so Rob Green was West Ham's keeper at the time. Uh, and he was our only player in, in the England squad. And England, USA, I got together with a bunch of mates and they're all like Liverpool fans and, you know, loads of players and always have loads of players in the England squad. It's different now. We've got the great Declan Rice and others. But uh, at the time, it was a rare thing for a West Ham player to be in the England side. So we were there and watching the game and had my Rob Green as a keeper, my Rob Green keeper jersey on as well. And then, of course, Green lets in one of the all-time World Cup clangers through his legs. Uh, I think it was Clint Dempsey and, and England get a draw, or rather the USA get a draw against England and, and Green is dropped. And it was really interesting at the time because he was in incredible form that season. And he, it was such an, look, keepers make mistakes like this, as we know, right? But it was, it felt like such an unfortunate, uncharacteristic mistake. And then afterwards, way after the event, when you hear him talking about it years later, he said, on game day, he still didn't know if he was starting or not. Fabio Capello, who was the manager, was there was I think Paul Robinson was the other keeper, was saying, Well, I don't know, I'll, I'll let you know. And I think he found out about an hour, two hours before before the game. And he yeah. said that completely, you know, played with my head. So it, it makes complete sense that you just want that clarity and certainty. Otherwise, things will could unravel quickly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if we're in, in an age where we're saying so much of sports is visualization and putting yourself in that situation. Well, Am I visualizing myself as a starting quarterback or am I visualizing myself as a guy that might go in at the second half? Because yeah. those are very different mental approaches to how I'm looking at this game. Yeah, big time. Um, so on the Pats Jets, one of the quickie on it, if the Jets get the win with the injuries they've had, do we start to look at them in the same way I think when the Giants were starting to roll? Well, yeah, it's great what Dable's doing and it's great but they're not really contender. Now suddenly, okay, they're contenders. Are the Jets in the same boat here that no one's really taking them seriously as a playoff contender? But if they get this win, particularly as a divisional win, that they we have to start looking at them as, as a solid shot at a wild card. Yeah, I do think you have to look at them. I don't... I'm not overly fully bought in on them. You're not buying them yet. No, no. I really want to because I I really enjoy Salah as a coach. I I really like the staff there and and some of their players. I think losing Brees Hall is is a big loss. Even with bringing Mm. Robinson in, I think that it's not quite the same style. And um, 
for me, I just think that this weekend, especially after a big loss for the past, they're going to try and come in and, and really make a statement in a divisional game. And, mm. and Belichick knows how to play these games. Uh, and so for me, I, I don't know if the Jets would really be successful this weekend, but I don't know if they have the bones yet to mm. really be a playoff contender. You diplomatically put Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, Belichick as well against Zach Wilson. That's that, I don't think that's going to end well. Yeah, I don't think that's going to end well. No. I, I, they are one of my, they're on my shortlist for, uh, the Drew Lock of the Week, you know, of course, the the Drew Lock of the Week shenanigans because Ollie's been telling <laughs> you any moment, shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> moment he can. And my record now zero and seven. Uh, so check out Edge Rush because that is on my shortness. And whether I go there or not, we'll, we'll see. But the fact you you give me a bit of confidence, I think in, oh, in, in the Patriots, they might they might have moved up. All right, uh, let's talk 49ers Rams, another key divisional game, of course, in the West. And um, really interested in in Matt Stafford's regression. So looking at the numbers here, and there was a really interesting piece on on The Athletic about this. So, so far he's had eight picks this season. That's it versus six touchdown passes. So if he was a rookie quarterback with those numbers, you'd be like, mm, okay, well, it's not great, but he's a rookie. You know, it's a rookie. Every yeah. rookie has a bad year. That, that, for Stafford's level, that's not good. Yeah. The line is maybe the single biggest problem, right? So last year in the regular season, he was sacked 22 times over the, 17 games right he's already been sacked the same amount that 22 times this season so is that is that the fundamental issue and, and do the rams try and do something about that i mean they haven't as we talked about a minute ago got a huge amount to give up but do you think they need to make a play before the trade deadline yeah i, mean, I think they're gonna have to do something because you know looking at their o-line and again it all comes back to what they've done financially over the past couple of years and, and what they were trying to achieve and did achieve getting to the super bowl well, now, so they had Coach Aaron Cromer, who was with them as their O-line coach, who's now in Buffalo. But the biggest thing, I think, is is Cromer was there developing these young O-line and had them and was able to kind of support them through this. Well, now they don't have the necessary same level of support. There's also a change in the coaching style with having a new O-line coach. You're moving people around Um you know, Joe Noteboom, who had been injured and now is having to step up and play with um, Andrew stepping back at center. You know, it's just Coleman Shelton's in there as well as someone who's just not been great, if I'm being yeah. honest. So, you know, there's a lot of holes essentially in that offensive line. Um, and the fact that, you know, I think the Rams are, they're true to the fact that they want to be an 11 personnel team. Mm. That is who they are. So again, just your, your white one tight end, your one running back being your 11 personnel. But now you don't really have, like, let's say on third down, who are your receivers? You have mm. Cooper Cup is the only guy you're able to get that ball to. You know, you can't really trust Robinson at the moment. He's not been successful as much on third down. He's not able to separate. Mm. You know, he, he really needs a bigger opportunity for those contested footballs. Um, you're, you're an 11 personnel team with – who do you have apart from Higby as mm. your other tight end? So, you know, having an idea of what your identity is, but actually your personnel no longer matches that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I I was thinking about this with obviously the ground game and acres and that hasn't worked out. But is that because of the offensive line or is a lot of the reasons for that because of the offensive line? Robinson too, whether he is a player and a deal that great amount of upside, but the moment 
it doesn't play out or he doesn't play out in the level that you hoped he would, then you got real problems. So th- they felt like a team that required going into the season, air a lot of upside. Akers to really step up and really establish himself finally. Robinson to be uh, at least a, a good number two to, to Cooper Cup um, in terms of deliverables and and neither of those things that happen, that, that puts extra pressure on Stafford. He's getting sacked left, right and centre anyway and no, everything gets messy. On the, on the other side of the there was interesting Ollie um, was mentioning that we talked about on the show the on Sunday the radio show on the Sunday with uh, the Panthers apparently turning down two firsts for Brian Burns the edge rusher and Ollie was suggesting maybe that's what they need get the defense motoring again bit of pep and conviction to 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 the pass rush and make a deal for someone like Burns so I don't like we've established that they've got two number one picks to give up until about 2034 <laughs> but maybe make that work one more for you uh let's go Cardinals Vikings so the Vikings are five and one I don't think anyone's taking them seriously as as Super Bowl contenders why is there so much shade on on the Vikings why aren't they being considered legit a five and one you know, I think it started when, I mean, in the London game, right? Mm. I feel like that was almost the peak of who they were. And they kind of just melted away afterwards. I think you're still looking like, okay, who's your quarterback? Is he really going to be the guy that's going to carry you through to the playoffs, to the to the Super Bowl, potentially? Um, <laughs> Do you think he can be? Do you, and every time we talk about Kirk Cousins on the show, as you know, we've got to shout, shout out Mike McCartney, the greatest agent in the history of not just sports, but entertainment, frankly. The amount of deals that man has got. Mike McCartney, Ollie, we've got to get him on the show. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love, I love this man. Uh, are, you know, do you think Cousins is the perennial question? Is my quarterback good enough to get us over the line? Do you think? Do you think he? I mean, this is the the question that's dogged him his entire career, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, and has he? He's really never been able to finish the job, right? I mean, unfortunately for him, I think you look at who he has as his receiving core, and and. I think other quarterbacks could do more with those guys. And right. so I think you definitely feel that as a, as a team. And you think, I mean, kind of looking at this, this older echelon of quarterbacks out there, they're kind of being outgrown. And there's this new flashy, sexy style of quarterback out there who are putting up these crazy points. You know, the, the, just the offensive game is so different mm. and he still feels like he's not, moves forwards with that. Yeah. He still right. just does what he does, which is okay. But it's, for me, it's not good enough. And I think that's probably why people feel that because you watch mm. a Mahomes go out there and make magic and you're like, Oh, but this is our quarterback. And mm. he's not on that level. And when you start to, when it's so glaringly obvious, the difference in talent and skill, I think it makes you start to doubt what you have. And, and again, like, you know, the Vikings have, have been close before and they've not closed the deal. Well, is this the same situation? Are we just going to keep trying to be close enough and, and not be able to finish it? So bringing that to their opponents on Sunday, the, the Cardinals and Kyler, last one for you is Kyler is one of those players that is very much a, a contemporary next-gen quarterback and when he's on song is electric to watch. Is, is Hopkins, is it fair to say that Hopkins is a big enough missing link. If we talk about Allen and Diggs, and you know, we've spoken about this many times that that there are lots of reasons why Allen has developed into the player that he has, but Diggs is a 
solid part of that, giving him that kind of receiver. And Hopkins, of course, that was the game plan with with Arizona. And he's been out with Hopkins in the Cardinals starting lineup. Is this an altogether different offense? Absolutely. I mean, you could see it. You could feel it when you watched him. I mean, mm. just the, the energy he brings on and off the sideline as well. I mean, I was reading an article where, um, you know, Benjamin was saying the running back about how, like, as a rookie, I just want, I, I see him out there and I think I want to elevate my game. I want to be better. I want to, you know, take it to the next level. I think Hopkins averages 10.3 yards. I mean, that's yeah. crazy, right? right? <laughs> and he's just, he's, he's always, it doesn't matter who his quarterback is. He has always been a player that is able to bring in these contested catches and just change the trajectory of a game. Mm. And when you've got that, and I think for Kyler Murray, you know, when you have someone like that on your team, it just gives you that moment of breath and fresh air. And, and I think he, he's able to not feel so erratic at times. And think, you know what? I know I've got Hopkins. No matter what, that's my mm-hmm. anchor, my safety blanket. And I think that changes the way that you, he, as Kyler Murray, is able to view a game. Such a great point. You know, it, I, it, I hadn't really considered that as well. That obviously the, the productivity of, of Hopkins that he is an incredible receiver, but it's the type of receiver is he's so, uh, so reliable, but with that X factor as well. As you say, can just yeah. change a drive, change, and therefore change. Uh, the whole trajectory and momentum of the game. It's a, it's a brilliant point. Uh, and, a, and a quality one to end the show on, Phoebe Schechter, but uh, <laughs> ending on a high. Brilliant stuff. We will see you Sunday uh, at Wembley Stadium for a talk sport. We're going to be there on air from one o'clock, as Propo reminded me. I'm glad he did, because otherwise I don't want to The clocks are going back as well, so make sure you change, you set your clocks. Don't forget yes. that. That's, that's a classic <laughs> to make. A brilliant stuff, Phoebe. We'll see you then. Thanks for dropping by. Take care of yourself. Thanks so much, you too. See you Sunday. See you Sunday. Lovely stuff, as always. From the all-pro Phoebe Schechter, she's back very soon on the show. We're back, as we as we just mentioned, uh, live from Wembley Sunday uh, for Talk Sport for the Broncos-Jags game. And we are back with the pod very, very soon. Check out the vault. We've got FFS, Edge Rush, Iron Mike Mondays, all getting you set for another week of NFL action. Incidentally, if you haven't already... Uh, give us uh, a follow on our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok. Come on, I want to see more of you on TikTok. Big shout out to all of you who have been leaving uh, messages, comments on the pod platforms you listen to. Uh, get into a few of those with Propo over on Edge Rush, actually, so we'll read some of those out this week. So shout out to you guys as well. And finally, last but not least, FFS, our fantasy show. We have our listener league. You probably heard us talk about it. It's a lot of fun. You can pick a team every week. Go head-to-head with me, with Propo, with the Guru Sandrini, with lots of your fellow listeners. There's a free-to-enter contest. You can play for cash if you want. Uh, Lots of fun involved there. So hit the link in our show notes over on our social channels as well. You'll find us there. And if not, just hit us up on social and we'll send you a link to to join. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Podcast Network.